how do the Texans stack up against the rest of the AFC South? And speaking of the rest of the AFC South, DeAndre Hopkins signed with a certain AFC South rival of ours. So we'll be talking about that today and also how the running back drama that's going around will affect Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary. And then we'll close with the Madden ratings, which were recently released. And we'll talk about which Texans are underrated, which surprisingly enough is almost all of them. So let's get into it. I'm James Roy and this is Texans Takes. A lot of people are quick to doubt the Texans, but what a lot of people also forget and what we as, as Texans fans are all too familiar with is, is that the AFC South is a bottom feeder division. It's anyone's division. At least it has been in recent years. And so when people say that the Texans are not even close to contending for a playoff spot, I, I usually remind them that they're in the AFC South. And the first thing that I hear is, is do you think the Texans are even close to any of the teams in the AFC South? And I think some people forget who the competition is. So the Colts, the Colts are very much in a similar situation to the Texans. When we go down the line of similarities between the Colts and the Texans, we obviously look at the quarterback position. Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud both taken very high in the draft. While Davis Mills and Gardner Minshew are not in the exact same situation, I would say there are similarities between their situations. And so the quarterback situations mirror each other a little bit. When we look at the running back room, we see Jonathan Taylor versus Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce is less proven, but both teams have running backs that have shown to be very good in the past. I would say that Jonathan Taylor takes the edge here, even though last season was a bit rocky. Um, so the running back rooms both have you know similarities to them. Receiving core, the Colts have one of those, and the Texans, in the eyes of most, um, don't exactly. So that I'll give that one to the Colts. Um, offensive line-wise, the Texans, I think their offensive line contends for best in the division. Um, I, I can't say for sure that it is, but I think that the moves that have been made in that particular area give Texan, the Texans reason to believe that they contend, at least with the offensive line. Um, and then defensively, I mean, just looking at it as a whole, the Texans have made some moves to improve that, but the Colts actually played all right defense. At least talent-wise, I would say the Colts have more pieces to work with. But I think that that these are two teams that are more similar than different. And so to say that there's like this chasm between them in terms of their ability to contend in the AFC South would be a disservice to both teams. Now, the Jaguars are obviously the favorite in the division. Um I mean, I've said in the past I think Trevor Lawrence is a little overrated. I think he's reaching the end of that window where people blindly just say he's really good. Um and I mean statistically, don't get me wrong, he has shown up, but I feel like watching the Jaguars play, there's just, you know, there's a certain degree of I'm the quarterback and I can step up in any given moment. And there's been a lot of moments where I felt like Trevor Lawrence was a non-factor for the Jaguars. But to their credit, the Jaguars have a quarterback who has proven to play at least half decently in the NFL. And, you know, they've got Travis Etienne. Their, their offense is overall better than the Texans. Um, once again, I would say that the Texans offensive line contends, but if we're looking at any other position group outside, maybe tight end, um, the Jaguars have a far better team on paper on paper. That's the important thing to say here. Um, defensively, once again, Jaguars have a far better team on paper. I think that with this particular discussion, what you have to look at is, is that historically the Jaguars have been awful at being good. And so even in seasons where leading up to it, they were expressed to be good or maybe they showed to be better than people thought they were going to be. You know, they always find a way to choke it away. So I'm not, re I'm not trying to discount what the Jaguars are, but you know, I I think they they 
they will contend for the division, and I think they're very clearly the favorites right now. But historically, just looking at their record versus the Texans, they got their first win since like 2017 against the Texans this past year. So I would say that much like any rivalry, the Texans, you know, in recent history have had the Jaguars number. And so just looking at division games, I think the Texans have a good chance to at least split, if not sweep the Jaguars, just based off of how we perform against them. And I think the Jaguars as a team need to find a way to step up in big moments. I mean, even in their playoff win last year, you know, they had to overcome Trevor Lawrence's, you know, incredible lack of poise in what should have been his opportunity to step up and be the franchise quarterback that they tout him to be. If if you're the Jaguars, you have to be concerned that Trevor Lawrence throws four picks in his first opportunity in the playoffs and you have to win in spite of him instead of him, you know, being the hero or being what you needed him to be. So the Jaguars to me, like I said, on paper, clear favorites in the division. But if I'm if I'm looking at them like historically and just through the lens of being a fan in the AFC South, that's not something I'm like putting I'm not going all in on the Jaguars. I'm just thinking right now on paper, they're the favorite. That's it. That's all I'll give them. And lastly, the Titans. Now, the Titans did just sign DeAndre Hopkins. If we look and we compare them, um, I think there's a couple of places where people discount the Titans a bit too much. Um, you know, it is the Derrick Henry show and Derrick Henry is getting up there. But I, I still think that Derrick Henry is the largest concern the Texans should have, especially as a team that ranked last in run defense last year. But I think that people are discrediting Ryan Tannehill I, because they think that the Titans should have rebuilt. And so the deeper point is, is that the Titans are a team that are hanging on to a mediocre roster to try and contend in a division that's trashed and will let them contend. But you're, you're not, that's not a championship roster and they really should blow it up and try and rebuild. And they're, they're only hurting themselves by half contending in a division that's trash instead of just trying to become the bar none best team in the division and a contender just in the AFC in general. So Tannehill, I think, is a little underrated, but I also think he's also a little overpaid. Um, and so that team it made some investments at a point where they were hot and then it all fell apart. And now the question is, is why are the Titans not just rebuilding it? And I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll prove me wrong this season. When I look at that roster, the, the receiving core is obviously drastically improved by DeAndre Hopkins. I think that any Texans fan will tell you that DeAndre Hopkins plays well independent of quarterback play. So even if you're not buying on Tannehill or Levis or Willis, um, you still have to believe that he can make the quarterback look good, whichever one they decide to play uh, just by being on the field, unless he's washed, which I mean, a lot of Texans fans will, uh, will say that. I think that's more of an animosity towards him for, you know, how things ended, which, you know, I, I personally, I, I don't think he's washed yet. I think that he's still got at least two or three more good years of football in him. Um, it's just a matter of, is he still at the level where he can save a quarterback that shouldn't really be playing in the NFL or that is not necessarily the best. So to recap, Jaguars, clear favorite on paper, Colts, more similar to the Texans than people give credit for. And the Titans are hanging on to a team that's mediocre at best instead of blowing it up and rebuilding like they probably should. So who knows? And the Texans, I think they can, they can at least make some noise in that group. Uh, do they, do I think they make the playoffs? I, I don't think it's outside the realm of consideration. I think it's hyper optimistic to say that. And, you know, I'm an optimistic guy. So that's where I'm at. Speaking of Derrick Henry, who I talked about earlier, that's my biggest concern on the Titans. 
is that the Derrick Henry's you know annual 200-yard game is inevitable against the Texans, it seems like. And so I'd hope that the Texans can hatch up a plan to stop that. But it brings up a, a discussion that needs to be had. Recently, a lot of running backs have taken to Twitter because three names, Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobson, and Saquon Barkley, um, all had their franchise tags move past the deadline and they did not come away with an extension. And, you know, I don't think that it's it's true to logic to act like that's not surprising. Um, I think that it's a sad reality. Um, and a lot of people are saying, you know, you shouldn't play running back growing up because there's no room for it. And and I've said it before um, and I'll say it again because um, a lot of them quoted a tweet from a guy who's, you know, laid out the game plan for GMs and, I think the simple fact of the matter is, is that as we've shifted to more of a passing league, you need, you know, there's very few running backs that can do all of it. You, you guys that have longevity and, and are the clear RB one, um, are, are a thing. I don't want to say a thing in the past, but typically you have two to three running backs that handle the backfield because you need guys who can fill in specific roles. You're, we're in a league where you can either pay millions to one guy at running back who maybe is a little weak in, in receiving or maybe just isn't a power guy, or you can you can pay a couple mil to three different guys that each do one of those things really well. And so since the league has shifted to that, you draft a guy, and you don't need to draft a guy in the first round. At least if you're not looking for you know that one guy, if you want to get you know three different running backs and pay them less, that's a hundred percent possible. Is there an advantage to having that end all be all running back? We'll find out from the Falcons this year with Bijan Robinson. I'd say that the Giants you know, have seen too many injury years from Saquon Barkley to be super confident. But when Barkley's on the field, he is worth the extension he's looking for. The The thing is, is that at the end of the day, if I'm the owner of an NFL team and the NFL is, whether you want to believe it or not, a business, I, I'm trying to make a business decision at the running back position. Let's take the Chiefs, for example. I've just recently paid Patrick Mahomes one of the largest contracts ever. And so now I've got to put people around him do I want to pay 13 to 15 million dollars a year for a one running back that can do most of it well or do I want to pay maybe 7 million dollars a year and get three running backs that can each do one of the facets of the game that I need I mean you know you you play your first down guy you put your you got your pass catching guy and you've got your third down short short yardage situation bruiser right so as a, a businessman you look at that decision and you go I'd rather pay less now does that always pay out? Is that always the case that you can get those three guys and make one solid NFL running back? No. I mean, sometimes you do need that one go-to guy. I think that, that that's 100% it. It's not always the case. But a lot of NFL owners, I think, feel like they can go into the fourth round and pick up a guy like Kenneth Walker, Damian Pierce. These are all guys that were picked in late rounds. They're paid a little less. And then at the end of their contract, you know, you just maybe give you give them a short extension or you try and give them the franchise tag and then you spend the next year trying to find your guy. And I mean, it also goes back to the Texans as a rebuilding team hitting with Damian Pierce. They did it at the worst possible time, because by the time that his useful years have run out, you know, he, he they're going to have to make a decision of do they want to keep Damian Pierce around? Do they think he's still got enough left in the tank? I use the six year rule. I think that most running backs can be reasonably expected as like number one go-to guy um, in the modern NFL with the way things have shifted, can be reasonably expected to put up six really great years of football. 
And so that to me is the is the bar for like a truly great running back is a guy who for six years, whether it's split injuries, whatever happens, uh, can go out and be that guy at running back, a guy that everyone's like, I need to draft him first in fantasy. He he does it all. He takes care of business, and he is the end all be all what a running back is in the NFL. If you want to be truly great, let's look at Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott was great his first couple of years, and then the Cowboys got Tony Pollard in there dispel him and fill another role and then Zeke lost a step and the Cowboys paid him a lot of money and the last year or two of his contract he was not that guy he was he was a really good running back that you know was a bruiser but you know Tony Pollard took over the speed back role and all of a sudden Zeke was being paid a lot of money but he was doing less and so yeah I mean it's just it's a business and to, to deny that and act like it's the NFL's problem to make sure that running backs can make bank is is you know, denying that this is a business and that that's not what they're aiming to do. Now, to say that the Players Association needs to make a push to protect running backs and make sure running backs that perform well can truly get compensated for what they do. At the end of the day, I think that the Texans in three years will probably franchise tag Damian Pierce if he's still performing really well. And then they'll consider extending him. And if he's asking for too much, they'll let him go. I mean, that's unless something happens between now and then, the Texans will be put in the same situation that the Giants are in, the same situation that the Raiders are in, the same situation that the Cowboys are in, and they're going to have to make a decision of, is Damian Pierce worth 13 to $15 million a year for the next four or five years, knowing that sometime in that contract, that money is just going to be an excessive overpay for someone who is not worth that money. Because unless he's you know Adrian Peterson, unless he's LaDainian Tomlinson, and we're guaranteed to get Ten, a 10-year career where he performs at a high level. If the Texans don't believe that's going to happen, Damian Pierce is going to be a guy who goes through the same fate as these guys do now unless something gets changed. Madden dropped their ratings, and I, I mean, honestly, while I don't like to make too much of them, this seems a bit excessive. Now, in the past, in my experience or understanding, a quarterback goes one or two overall. Um, they're usually in the 76 to 78 range. So diving right into it, CJ Stroud came in at a 73. I don't know how that happens. That seems excessively low, um, and I'm not quite in agreement with it. And Will Anderson, picked one pick later, comes in at 78 overall. That makes sense to me. I mean, there was a time, a long time ago, where I probably would have expected him to come in at a 79 or an 80, but at, at this point, 78, I'll take it. I mean, I think that that, that fits. Um, and then Hutchinson comes in at a 67. Really, the Texans receiving core... In general, I, I don't want to say they're underrated. I mean, I think they're adequately rated for the expectation relative to what the league thinks of the Texans receiving core and what has not been proven yet. So Hutchinson at 67 is the only one that truly makes me think like, okay, I, we get it. He was drafted in the sixth round, but like that seems a bit low. I think that I think that my you know floor on that might have been like a 69 or 70. So. Yeah, I don't want to waste too much breath on Madden ratings, but those are really the ones that stuck out to me. This has been Texans Takes with James Roy. I have been James Roy. If you're watching on YouTube, you can go ahead and like and subscribe. And if you're not watching on YouTube, then thanks for listening to the podcast. But you can also go over to YouTube and like this video and subscribe to the channel. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, I am at M1TexansFan on all social media. And until next time, thanks for listening to Texans Takes with James Roy.